0: Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston.
1: Hi, Yasmin. Hi, Andrea, and welcome to <laughs> Kind World. So, we're actually coming to you from our apartments in both Boston and in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's right. We are at home too, just like many of you. So, for the foreseeable
2: future, we'll be making Kind World from home, which is definitely a challenge because, Yasmin, this is the first time you and I have ever recorded this show from different places. And to be even more specific, I'm recording from a blanket fort on my bed, and you are in a closet?
1: I am. In a closet, <laughs> in a dark closet, under a lot of blankets so I can muffle the sounds. But, you know, that is how it is for now. We're taking all the necessary safety precautions. So if there's ever a time when all of us need a little comfort, it's now. And you know what's giving me the most comfort this week, Andrea? What's that? It's the realization that we live around a lot of amazingly kind and generous people.
2: So let's start off by sharing what's been happening in our communities, where we're watching neighbors step up and support each other in all sorts of ways. We have such a range of different kinds of things that people are willing to provide their neighbors, um, in addition to money and housing and things like that. Things like delivery or childcare, or some people are artists and say like they're willing to do online video chat sessions doing art. That's Jerry Medina. She's one of the founders of a local mutual aid group that's a grassroots network of people offering and requesting help.
1: So these groups are mostly organizing online, but they're also posting flyers, texting, calling neighbors to let them know how they can get help.
2: And these mutual aid groups are popping up all over the country with people willing to buy groceries for each other, to take care of each other's pets, to entertain kids while parents are working. Some people have even opened their homes to total strangers who need a place to stay. And we've heard a lot about that here in Boston because we've got so many college students and so many of them have had to leave their dorms and they've got nowhere to stay. You know, it was like within not even an hour, I think, that we saw this person um, step up and offer this to the student. That's why I think this is such a powerful way of practicing community. It's like been the nicest thing to observe during this entire time.
1: You know, I've seen local businesses stepping up, too. It's a really trying time for anyone in the restaurant industry. But Demetra Murphy, who owns Daddy Jones Bar in nearby Somerville, is really stepping up. Even though they've had to close for the time being, a couple of our staff are still working. And they're doing so because they're delivering food to families in need.
3: When I saw that we weren't going to be go bringing kids to school, I was like, wow, restaurants have food, and we are going to need to get it somewhere, and these kids aren't going to school in Somerville. Maybe we can turn like the need of the restaurants and all of our restaurants into a way to help the community.
1: And of course, there are individuals who are just helping on their own. Like Farah has She's a school principal living in Milton, Massachusetts.
2: So I do have a friend who is, I mean, compromised and has finally agreed to take up an offer. So I'm going to do some shopping for her today and cook some meals and drop those off.
1: Farah put up a post on her Facebook page. She said she was willing to help anyone who needed food pickups or even cooking. She also said she was willing to take care of the children of working parents.
2: I think there was the capacity to love and care and show kindness. I hope that there is more communication around folks that um, can check in with their neighbors. Like if you know that you have a neighbor who lives by themselves, to knock on their door, maybe wear a mask, leave a note even, and just say, if you need something, call me. So now we want to hear from you. How are you or your neighbors responding to the coronavirus outbreak? What's impressed you? We'll be sharing the most compelling stories in every episode and on social media and in our newsletter so we can continue to add a little light when everything feels so bleak. So send us an email at kindworld at wbur.org or call and leave us a message. We're at 617 617- 617 353 6350. We'd love to hear from you.
1: And we'll be back with more Kind World after the break.
2: The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost.
1: Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day.
2: I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me On Point for Elements of Energy. Mining for a Green Future. Five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Amr.
2: And I'm Andrea Aswaje. So now we have a great story for you. And it's a little break from everything coronavirus related.
1: This story is about one woman's mission to help educate generations of kids. And it's a big idea with very humble beginnings. And just a heads up before we begin, this episode does briefly mention the threat of sexual assault. Just so you know. Luma Mofle always loved soccer. She grew up around a huge extended family in Jordan, where she and her cousins played in her grandmother's backyard.
3: She had tortoises, so we'd set up the tortoises' soccer goals. Um, You know, an hour into the game, the goals would have shifted because the tortoises would have moved. So that's where I take myself when I think of home.
1: In the 1990s, Luma left Jordan and her extended family and went to the U.S. for college. After four years at Smith, she made the decision not to return home. My junior year, I applied for political asylum. From an early age, Lumen knew she was gay. She also knew it would be difficult to live as a gay woman in a socially conservative country. Currently, Jordan doesn't have explicit laws criminalizing same-sex relationships, according to Human Rights Watch. But sometimes, the reality on the ground is different.
3: I was caught at one point uh, with with another woman out outside of Amman and um, at gunpoint and threatened with rape. Um, So, yeah, it's, uh, it's like a fear, but a reality as well. In
1: 1999, Luma got asylum, moved to Atlanta, and opened up a little cafe. She made friends, coached club soccer, but something was off. She missed home, even though her parents had disowned her. When, when you have
3: to leave your country, there's a part of you that's always going to feel lonely. Like Even if you're having a great day, there's a part of you that is missing.
1: On the one hand, she was free as a gay woman in the U.S. On the other, she felt like she had to hide another part of her identity, especially after the September 11th attacks.
3: I had lots of friends that started changing their names. You know, like Saeed became Sam, Hamad became Mo. But seeing the way people reacted and and the fear they had when they realized you were Arab and Muslim um, was not the way I wanted people to look at me.
1: Luma just wanted to blend in. But deep down, her nostalgia for home never went away. It really hit her one day when she came across a group of young boys, all refugees, playing soccer. Something told her she had to stop
3: maybe it was fate, but it was like, whoa, here's part of your world and we're going to plant it right here in Atlanta for you.
1: The next day, Luma went back to play a quick soccer game with the same group of kids. Louis McCore was part of that group. He was a shy teenager from South Sudan who'd only been in the U.S. for a couple of years. His family immigrated to escape political violence. But for Louis, a kid who didn't speak much English, life in America was difficult.
0: Really didn't have that many friends, um, only talked to family members. It didn't feel like home, and it didn't feel like this is the place that I was dreaming of when I first got here.
1: That changed when a group of boys approached him and asked if he wanted to play soccer with them.
0: For them to just come up to me, it was a little bit emotional, but at the same time I was excited because I had somebody, I had kids that were just trying to include me into something.
1: Luma volunteered to coach this group of boys as an official team. She'd even stay after practice to help them with homework. That's when she learned something startling. Some of her players, like Lewis, had trouble reading. It shook me in a way um, that I don't think I
3: was prepared for. I just didn't think you could be in school for a number of years here in the United
1: States and not know how to read. And I said, to myself, if this was my kid, what would I do? Luma started a school. Well, sort of. It was a rented room in a church basement. She brought together Lewis and other middle school kids from her team. Using her own savings, she hired a teacher to homeschool them. After three years, Lewis went back to high school, a changed student.
0: It gave me confident in front of the class to read, and sometimes I will raise my hand even Tell the class, I'll read first.
1: Meanwhile, Luma's idea grew. In 2007, she started a nonprofit called Fuji's Academy, a free private school for low-income refugee children.
3: A lot of people didn't believe in it. Yeah, they're like, we don't understand what you're doing. Um, I had a principal tell me I was wasting my time on these kids, that they would never
1: amount to anything. Good thing she didn't listen, because since starting the school... Loomis helped teach nearly 1,200 middle and high school students. She opened up a second location in Columbus, Ohio in 2018. That's where Lewis, who's now 27, is back in the classroom, this time as a leader and mentor.
0: They're, they're living my life that I lived when I was a kid, and I just wanted to come back and make sure that they, they have the best of it. It's just beautiful.
3: Like, I'll sit back and, like, see that image of him standing up in front of a group of kids
1: and mentoring them, and, and it's it's beautiful to see. Through teaching others, Luma's learned an important lesson about herself. Coming out as a gay woman was nerve-wracking. Then again, so was coming out as an Arab Muslim asylee. But that's who Luma is, and she's proud of it. She's teaching her students to be proud of their identities as well.
3: I feel very uh, more whole um, when I'm at school and when I'm in the building with my kids. Like, I I feel more, like, I feel that I belong now in a way that I did not before.
1: They say soccer has a magical ability to break barriers and bring people together. But there's something even more magical about someone's determination and commitment to building a winning team. Hey, thanks for listening to Kind World this week. Follow us on Instagram at WBURKindWorld for updates, news stories, and a behind the scenes look at how we produce our show, which is, for now, from our makeshift home studios.
2: Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sophie Eisenberg is our WBUR fellow. Catherine Brewer is our managing producer and editor. And Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer, Andrea Aswahi.
1: And I'm reporter and producer, Yasmin Amr. Remember, this Friday we'll have another listener voicemail drop in your feed. So you can start your weekend off right with our Friday Moment of Kindness. If you have a story, call 617-353-6350 and leave us a voicemail. That's 617-353-6350. Thanks for listening. See you next week.